1: Today's mailbag is going to be interesting. We have some comments and some questions. We're going to start off with Jim Halloran, who left us with a super chat. We always try to go to those first. Thank you, Jim. It was Brian and Ryan. Does the team uh, rep audibles against different looks? If so, why do you need to scan? They don't really do audibles on offense. I think Ryan is what he's referring to. They don't really do checks on offense. It's more of a check with me thing. And and right. to a degree, I'm okay with that. Like I, I don't know if I want Drew Pine necessarily doing a lot of audibles. There's a difference between an audible and a lining up in a two by two and calling your run strength. That's not necessarily an audible. You know, you may call stretch to the right, but you have certain keys that if you see this, you're just check stretch to the left, that kind of thing. I, I don't mm-hmm. count that as an audible. That's a check. But I, I don't know if I want Drew Pine in a situation right now where he's audibleing a lot. I just, my thing is, I don't feel you need to do the scan every single play. Right? Sometimes just run the freaking play. You know what I mean? Just run it. Almost cussed there. I got I heard that. <laughs> I got caught between two. I didn't say it. I got caught between two different words and it sounded like I cussed, but I didn't. But just run the play. Right? Just run the play. You know, you're in a decent look. Just run the play. Uh, but it's it's that kind of thing. So no, I I don't they don't really rep audibles right now, nor should they. I don't think they should be doing a lot of audibles. I don't think that's something I want on Drew Pine's. Shoulders right now. Eventually, sure, but not right now. Yeah. Not right now. Yeah. And I mean, why do they need to scan, about... Ryan? Let's explain it. Break it down for him. Why do they need to scan? They don't need to scan. Why do they scan? They, they scan because they want to get into the right play every play. That's perfect why play.
2: they want to scan. Perfect. <laughs> oh, the perfect play. Sorry. Yes. They, the the, yes. the perfect play call. And uh, I mean, Brian. I mean, but we've talked about this right a, a ton. Right now, you have a bunch of players that I think are playing slow because they are thinking too much. So why would I also want Drew Pine to have to think more than he has to think at this point, right? Like take some stuff off his plate, man. That's what your that's what your job's for, right? I mean, as the coach. But I mean, to your point though, and I'll I will continue to I mean, ban the scam, man. Ban it. Yeah. Um, this is my thing. Sometimes players are going to surprise you. You're in, like, not the greatest look you wanted, but they'll still make a play because you know what? You're at Notre Dame. You have talents. Let the guys use their talent, man. Like, they'll, they'll surprise you sometimes. They will. They'll surprise you.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee,
1: especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried Trade Coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before. Because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection. The rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee. The full flavor of the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. And just know that when you make those checks, you also give the defense a chance to get set up. So there you go. This question was answered in the in the chat, but I also want to bring it up now, just in case somebody else had the question. Because so I actually asked this because I had my I have wear noise canceling headphones during the game because there's just too many people co- committing like assaults on their keyboard, and it just drives me nuts. Uh, but he says, "Who was the receiver wearing number six on Saturday?" Uh, didn't know we had one, and can't find him on the depth charts. It's Deon Colsey. So Dion's been on some kick return teams, and on those he's been Brandon Joseph is also on some of the kick return at times. There's been other special teams that Dion has been working on. He's a, as a one or a two that are with Brandon Joseph, you can't have a guy. So if he's a number two on the punt block team, for example, and you have to put him in, you don't want to just change his number constantly. So just give him a new number. And so they did. And I was like, who's number six? Uh, Cause I was like, I thought it was Dion, but I, I didn't recognize the number. And, but yeah, it was uh, Dion Colsey is who that was. Here's one for you, Ryan. We are not Marshall says their secondary is really good. Are the wide receivers talented enough to get space for plays? Can we just say this, Ryan? Talent has not been their name's issue this season. Still? No. Not the issue? No. No. It's I mean, you have to pick your spots with Syracuse's
2: secondary. I mean, in vacuum, right? Notre Dame is it's not like, oh my God, Garrett Williams is just like this premier athlete and premier talent, and then Lorenzo Styles is not athletic, right? Like there's the talent issue is not there, like the discrepancy, anyway. Are is Garrett Williams a, a just a more confident football player than what Notre Dame is trying to a wide receiver right now? For sure. I mean, he plays in control and he knows his limitations. He knows his strengths, and those things matter. They do. But I mean, to the question you can find space against this team. There is, It is possible, yes. It's one of those things where you need to – I think you really need to work through the safeties to get them really uncomfortable because the corners are going to mostly be in the right spot, in my opinion. Movements mm-hmm. based inside, motioning across, getting different looks out of the slot. Like I had some, some uh, post-snap switch stuff. That would be a big opportunity, I think, in this game as well. Like
1: those things, I want to make those safeties uncomfortable
2: in this football game to create yeah.
1: space. I'm going to somewhat push back on that a little bit, Ryan. I actually do think their cornerbacks are vulnerable if you attack them correctly. If you're just Mm -hmm. going to attack them with a bunch of go routes with Braden Lindsay and Lorenzo styles, you're probably not going to have success unless you somehow like use a flood concept that kind of gets them guessing, but they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't mess up on that a lot, especially Garrett Williams, you know, who's to the Mm -hmm. field a lot. And so I, I don't think it's necessarily that it's what it's, you what you said is correct, but the stuff you're talking about is also things I want to see them use to attack the corners, especially if they're gonna give them a man. If they can if they can do things where Syracuse is gonna stay in their 24 look all game, cool. Right. Well some people call it what cover six, right? Some people call yeah. that. I always called it 24, 42, because then I can identify where it was. Uh some people call it number six. My problem with calling it cover six is you can't always identify if it's field, boundary, whatever the case may be. But anyway, different conversation for a different day. Uh, But if they're playing that, then there's some things that I want to do to try to get my receivers, to your point, matched up against the safeties, over the middle, doing high lows, flooding the field, things like that. There's a lot of field flood opportunities out of different looks that you can use to exploit this football team. But if you are able to get them into some man stuff, especially if you're able to run the football, there's a lot of looks where if you can kind of do some stacks and things like that, the thing about Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut is they're really clean athletes and they're, they're physical athletes, even though they're not huge, but neither of them to me are burners. That's a one knock I have on Garrett Williams. And that's why Charlie Jones is able to beat him. He just ran by him twice in the fourth quarter. He didn't get a real clean hit on him and Charlie Jones has ran by him. So I think you can run by Garrett Williams if you're good enough at the line of scrimmage. And the reality is his no-name receivers aren't good at the line of scrimmage. There's two ways to beat Garrett Williams, with size or get him moving. But then if they're in zone, you're not worried about him at all because he's covering somebody else. So I think the stuff you're talking about to create matchups on the safeties is perfect. I agree with it. But I also Mm want to see some of that stuff being used to attack the corners. That's my thing. Now, one thing that I would do, because they with all the two played at the boundary, there's some hole throw opportunities. But I don't know how much of that you really want to do. They're going to have to to flood the, the boundary at times. Right. To get the corner and the safety kind of going and then maybe do some kind of trail, get their linebackers in space because their linebackers can run, but they can get a little aggressive at times. But then also they don't really they don't they drop them over the middle a lot more than they drop them necessarily under some of that stuff. So I think there's some opportunities there. Uh, There's some things where you can run some clear outs and bring crosses across. I think Mm -hmm. there's definitely some opportunities for that you know, where you you, you kind of run them off and then bring somebody backside. And, and it, I mean, th- th- that's where Notre Dame should be able to have some success on the football is getting them and chase stuff because that's where they can use their speed. If they're just going to use their speed to just vertically go against them, I think these two kids are both too fundamentally sound and too good at transitions. And they're bigger than the Notre Dame receivers. Garrett Williams mm-hmm. is bigger than Brayden Lindsay. Deuce Chestnut's bigger than Brayden Lindsay. You know, Lorenzo Styles is is similar in size to them. But he doesn't play to his size. I mean, they're Garrett Williams is six foot one eighty nine, Deuce Chestnut is six foot one ninety eight. They're both bigger than the Notre Dame receivers, especially the way that Lorenzo Styles is playing right now. He's not playing like a six one hundred ninety five pound kid. Yep. He plays more like a five, 10, 180 hundred eighty pound kid right now. So I do think there's some opportunities there. But it, look, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get creative to to beat them, right, Ryan? Like Notre Dame has talent, but they're just not coach. And the coaching isn't going to all of a sudden get better in a week to where they're going to look like Torrey Holt and Marvin Harrison coming off the line of scrimmage. So right. do some stuff schematically. And the, 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 the group that I think can be really big in this game, the slots and the running backs, you've got to be smart say. about how you use your slots and your running backs. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was going to say the running backs, I think is a big thing too. I mean,
2: especially because for me, Michael Jones is a nice coverage player. But Marlo Wax, like if you get an opportunity to get a running back in a one on one opportunity against Marlo, whether that's running an angle route or running an option route or a wheel route, whatever it is, I think you can take advantage of the linebackers not named Michael Jones in man to man coverage. Like I think that you can mm-hmm. do that, right? So I would, I mean, yes, I think there's big opportunities. I also think there's big opportunities if you do run some of your 12 personnel stuff where you, if you want to actually use a Mitchell Evans or a hold stays in the passing game where if you get one of those matched up against a Marlowe Wax, then you could also take advantage there. So I think there is some opportunities to make mismatches. Middle of the field is more where I would want to go. But to your point, there's mismatches that you create everywhere. But the safeties and linebackers, I think there are opportunities, especially in man coverage, to take advantage of.
1: Yeah. So that's a very good question. Very good question led to, I think, a good discussion. I like that. Appreciate that. Mr. Sanders says, game all depends on which Pine shows up, UNC or the Stanford Pine. Ryan, that's exactly what I said to you on the phone earlier. And it was it was more about Tommy Reese because I think Drew Pine's issues have as much to do with Tommy Reese as they do about Drew Pine. But I said if they play, if they scheme, call, and play like they did against North Carolina on offense, they'll win this game and win it comfortably, in my opinion. Now, that's a big if. Yeah. Because we've seen that sure. once that that game is the anomaly right now right it is the mm-hmm. anomaly so we don't know if this team is capable of doing that again or if it was just kind of a one off thing we'll find out but yes if that drew if that version of Drew Pine quick decisive spreading the ball around confident and guess what that drew pine had Ryan a lot of stuff to the slots a lot of stuff to the mm-hmm. backs yep right and different defense if the, if the, different structure but similar similar philosophy If
2: you have a confident quarterback to that degree that you saw in that football game and the passing attack that you had in that game, the the efficiency in there, I mean, I could argue that Notre Dame might run away with this one. (laughs) Like this one might not be close. Like Notre Dame's – that's the maddening thing about Notre Dame right now, Brian, is that you've seen some moments where you're like, wow, that's really positive stuff, man. Like you could probably play with anyone in the country. And you've seen other times where they play down to the level of competition. So – it's sometimes it the vo- below. volatility yes <laughs> below the level yeah, well below well
1: below yes <laughs> yes. yes yes uh rob's good let's uh let's face it and i'm being honest this is a true gut check game man up this is for players and coaches it's that easy and rob i don't disagree with you is who do you want to be no. what, re- what do you be what do you want to be remembered by cuz i'm t- i'm telling you if this team runs the table and goes 10 and 3 for example We'll, we'll have some things to say about the start. And imagine what this team could have been if they'd have flip and beat Marshall and Stanford, two teams that aren't good, right? But yeah. we can also be talking about this team. I mean, look, at four and three with three ranked teams coming up on your schedule, it's not a given that Notre Dame is going to be bowl eligible. They need two more wins to get bowl eligible. And they have a loss to Stanford and they have a loss to Marshall, which means they can lose to Navy or Boston College. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Would it shock me? It shock me. The point, however, is that's how un, that's how un how hard it is to figure this team out. I don't know what they're going to be from week to week. You know, their three yeah. best games so far have been against their three best opponents. Their three worst games so far against their three worst opponents. I have no freaking clue what this team who this team is. Right, but it's like, but you're going to be remembered more for what you do the next five weeks than you will be for what you did before, and that's what I hope these kids take pride in is look, all the noise, all the coaching stuff, all this, all that. It's like what we said last week, Ryan. Right? My dad raised me to believe something very, very, very strongly. And I believe to my core. He goes, you can't control what other people do to you. You can only control how you respond. And if you mm-hmm. respond in a way that's just as bad as you were treated, then you're no better than the person who's mistreating you. It's not an excuse to not do handle your business the right way. Because your coach is a jerk and is screwing you over, it, it, it's not his fault that you don't go out and practice hard and you don't stay locked in. You don't do this. Much easier said than done. And I'm saying that now as a 44 year old who has some experience in life, right? It's a much harder advice to take when I was 18, 19, and 20 years old and even younger at times. But that's who these kids need to be. It's like, hey, look, I, I know the coach isn't playing you. I know you're not getting the ball as much as you need to. I know you're not, but you need to be locked in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You need to go in there and play as hard as you can. And then, and then you can deal with this other stuff after the year, but you're here right now. And yeah, you're not being put in a great situation, but in that situation, go ball out. Right. Mm -hmm. I know like Chris Tyrese, for example, my advice to him would be, and I think he's doing this so far is, Hey, you're not being put in a great situation, but he's playing hard in those bad situations, you know? And and so, so keep doing that. And that's the thing I would hope more guys would do is like, look, I know you're not doing what you want to do, or you think playing as much as you need to play, but you got a chance to do to be a part of something that can really get this thing rolling. And people will remember that much more than they'll remember the losses. there will be a lot of what ifs and what have could have should haves but they're going to be excited about what this team has moving forward. And you can be a big part of that, or you can be part of a second half collapse. And then we're talking about Notre Dame basically just moving on from you. Who do you want to be? Yep. And that's my challenge. And it's not look, it, Tom Maurice doesn't have any say on how hard you practice how much you focus, how much film you study, how serious you're taking this game. He, he doesn't impact that. That's all on you, right? He can impact if you get five snaps or 25 snaps, sure. But he can't impact what you do on those five. And that's the mindset that they have to take. And if the players can take that, then they got a chance to do something special. There's no doubt. Yep. And I think a lot yep. of that is from our, Rob is there. It's gut check time, right? Because what is a gut check to you, Ryan? To me, it's it, it's about me now. You know, like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? I, I'm backed against the wall. Things are hard. All right, it's time for me to man up, right? Like you said, and, and and go out and handle my business. And nobody else has has a say over that. Nobody else has a say over how I handle my business. Only I do. Yeah, that's my that's my thoughts.
2: Well, well no, I'm not, I was going to say, I mean, it means the same thing to me, right? Like, there's no excuses around you, right? Like, there's no scapegoats. There's nothing that you can lean on. Like, it's a gut check is the ultimate opportunity to show that you can handle things right that you can handle adversity and I agree Rob I think that we've had a couple of these already if I'm being honest but like this is another big opportunity I mean because you're playing against a ranked opponent on the road after a less than convincing victory against a UNLV team that you were just flat out better than it's a big opportunity for gut check because this paints the picture of the rest of the season against a couple good teams coming forward. So I agree. It is a gut check.
1: Ultimate gut check. Let's go to the next question Ryan. I wanted to get down here for this one from Rob that off cuz this is a, a, a something I wanted to address and and it's a good question but I I don't think we're not on the same page here. It says Brian and Ryan, I always seem to hear the term get right game but it seems to be brought up when playing lower tier competition shouldn't a get right game be against quality competition? I don't think you're quite under, we're not looking at we're not defining a get right game as the same thing, Rob. First of all, I don't agree with the premise that it's always against lower competition or it seems to be because we viewed the North Carolina game as a get-right game. Yep. Now, North Carolina was good. They were undefeated at the time. But what we viewed it as a get-right game, Ryan, because they didn't match up well with Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they were really bad on defense, which meant it was a chance to get right. A get-right game is a game, Rob, the very nature of it is you're playing – something inferior and, and the goal being like, you know, you're not playing Ohio state. You're not having to scheme out of your mind to, to beat this team. It's about you just going out, getting your fundamentals, right. Getting your mind, right. Executing and gaining some confidence. And that usually happens against a lower tier team. So the, the very notion of a get right game, Rob, to me and Ryan, you can, you can agree or disagree with that is that you are playing something inferior. You are facing something inferior, where the pressure's not as high, the stakes aren't as high, where you can kind of get back the basics a little bit. So that's why, to me, get-right game is usually going to be against a lower-tier competition or a good team with a bad part of their team that you can get right against, and that's what the North Carolina game was for us, at least was for yep. me.
2: Yeah, I-, I think that there might be a little – confusion between a get right game and a stat padding game, right? Like they're not the same thing, right? A stat padding game is against a team that you just like, you're going to roll over, right? Like you're going to beat them like 60 to nothing. And that's the game where, oh, Isaiah Foster going to come in and be like, oh, I'm going to get three sacks today. That's the game where, you know, running back X is going to come in and say, oh, 150 today, two touchdowns. Like those, that's a stat padding game. A get right game to Brian's point, And I agree with it hundred percent, Brian. That's kind of how, how I define it as well is, when you're struggling in a certain area, whether that is offensively, defensively, or as a whole team scope, oh, I have a chance to write the shit today because I am better in this area than where they are. Right. So that's, that's, that's what always, a, that's what a get right game has always been for me. Not a stat padding game, but a get right game.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we're on the same page there. We're on the same page there. I mean, the same mm-hmm. page there. Uh, so I hope that explains it, Rob. I think it's just looking at it from a different standpoint. You know, I mean, look, every game is a chance for you to get right if you're struggling, but there's a specific way that we use that term. Next question is from Mike Sullivan. He says, just in case Tommy, this, I just had to show this because this was really funny. It made me laugh He goes, just in case Tommy is listening, please make sure you tell him it would be dumb to play Tobias Merriweather and throw it to him. I play this game with my kids. It's called reverse psychology. I laugh because I have thought about that at times. I have literally thought and it was I was this way under Brian Kelly and, I, and I'm this way with Tom Marisa like I feel like sometimes and it's not necessarily me per se I do think that's part of it but more so just the 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 growing noise that is I often get blamed for which I'll own that is like he's not going to do this because people are calling for it like he didn't play Tobias as soon as he would have because people were calling for it because the media people like myself and we weren't alone were calling for it he's not going to you know change the run game because we're calling for it. So I've thought about like, well, I wonder if I went out and was like, you know what, this would be the dumbest game ever to run a bunch of outside zone and buck and So this would be the dumbest week to execute a buck sweep concept. I mean, why would you want to run something against a team that slants and stunts where if you catch them in the right blitz, you know, maybe open up a huge hole. Why would you want to do something like that? This is definitely not the week for that. Right. And just thinking like, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe some reverse psychology works that's how nuts all this is Ryan is because it's like I'm I'm left grasping for that type of answer because it's so absurd what they're doing or in this case not doing you know what I mean it's just like because yeah. there's just no I, I said this about Brian Kelly I I could always and and van Gorder I could always at least understand why they did what they did or didn't do what they weren't doing I thought it was dumb or I disagreed with it. or I thought it was a wrong, wrong thing or whatever straight, you know, variation of what they're all different reasons and all different reactions. But I thought I could at least understand it. I can't fathom why Tommy Reese is doing what he's doing half the time. Like I, I can't, I can't think of an explanation that would make any sense even if I disagreed because like, I mean, you know, football is Ryan, two coaches, the same personnel They're both really good coaches. They're going to look at a third and five play in the same game against the same opponent in the same circumstance with the same tendencies and run two completely different plays. Mm -hmm. And neither is necessarily wrong. One may work. One may not work. And one I may say, you know what? Like I didn't like that call because here and it didn't work, but I at least understood why he was trying to do what he did. Just didn't, didn't work out. I I, I, half the time I'm like, "I, I got nothing. I have no clue why he's running that play out of that period. I have no clue why he's not doing this, why he's not doing that. I have no clue why they're not running outside at all. I have no clue why Tobias isn't playing. I have no clue why they're doing a lot of things they're doing. I have no clue why Chris Tyree is turned into uh, and they get power back. I have no idea why they stopped using the running backs. I went back and looked at the games like, okay, were there some things they were doing schematically to take the running backs out of the game? Nope. Nope. Because they stopped using them before teams even adjusted. They just maybe assumed that they were going to adjust. I got nothing, Ryan, and that's frustrating. 'Cause I can't I can't defend that. I can't defend like I can defend here's why Ryan made that call in this game. I didn't agree with it, but I understand why he did it. I I got nothing. I got nothing. And that's you, what you she can't so frustrating.
2: You know what else you can't defend? It's Chris Tyree on the
1: edge, but another conversation for a different day. Sure. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, I wanted to respond to this question. I have no clue who this person is or, or where they're coming from. But Goss in DM, didn't Dino Babers beat Notre Dame while coaching Bowling Green? Uh, no, Notre Dame and B- Bowling Green have only played each other once in football ever. Yeah, it was 2019, and Notre Dame beat them 52 to nothing. Uh, Dino <sighs> Babers has faced Notre Dame as at Syracuse twice, lost both games. He uh, coached at UCLA when they played Notre Dame in 06 and 07, lost both hmm. times. Uh, he was the running backs coach in 06, the game that Brady Quinn had the co- late comeback, and then he was uh, the assistant head coach and running backs coach in 07, the year that Notre Dame went out there and beat Notre Dame as part of a 3-9 and team. Uh, Notre Dame went 3-9 and that year. Two of their wins were in California, which I found interesting. Dino Babers was also part of the 2003 Pittsburgh team that also lost to Notre Dame. So uh I don't believe I'm going to have to go back. And Notre Dame did not lose to Purdue from 1991 to 1993. And so Dino coach Babers was also on those three teams or he was at Purdue from 1991 to 1993 and uh, Notre Dame beat Purdue in 91, 45 to 20. They beat Purdue in 1992, 48 to nothing. And they beat Purdue in 1993, 17 to nothing. So, uh, I don't think Dino Babers. I'm looking at his record, 01 to 02. That was the only question that I had, Ryan. I know that Notre Dame played Texas AM at some point in time, but I don't think that they lost. So I'm going to try to find that. But I, I don't think that he has been a part of a team that has beaten Notre Dame at this point in time. Yeah, he was at AM in 01 to 02. But Notre Dame played AM in 2000 and beat AM in 2000. They didn't – I don't think they played – okay, so yes, he was. This is the one I thought. They did beat Notre Dame in 01, his first year at Texas A&M. They did beat Notre Dame at Texas A&M 24-3. So that is the only time – that was the last year of the Bob Davy era. So that is the only time in Dino Baber's career. So he said 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 – 8-9. He's played against Notre Dame nine times, to- coached against Notre Dame nine times that I can count. And Notre Dame is 8-1 and one in those games. The only exception being the last year the Bob Davy' tenure. So, no, Dino Papers has never been part of a team, especially as a head coach that beat Notre Dame. So just once as an assistant in 2001. So there you go. Wanted to answer that question for you. <laughs> Alright, Ian Johnson with a mailbag question up here. He says, uh, who has the hotter seat? jimbo fisher or brian harson
2: that's a tough one actually i think i mean is because it's it's they're so different situations right it's like jimbo's pulling in a lot of talents but isn't developing very well right he hasn't won consistently and brian harson i mean i don't think he's done either one of those things right so it's kind of like I guess Harson. I think Harrison gets fired before Jimbo, but I think they're both on the hot seat.
1: You see, to me, that's a different conversation on yeah. who's got the hotter seat and who gets fired first because a fifty million dollar difference in buyout is gonna have a big say on who gets fired. You may want I may want to fire my guy worse than you want to fire your guy, but I may not be financially able to do it. Although I feel like if AM can fork over the dollars to buy last year's recruiting class, then they can fork over the dollars to buy out Jimbo Fisher. But this last week's loss to South Carolina was rock bottom for them. And I'm really curious to see how this team responds, Ryan. Very curious how this team responds because that's the thing. Here's, here's the – you don't know the biggest difference between Jimbo and, and uh, Brian Harson. Say whatever you want about Brian Harson, but I've watched Auburn play m- several times this year, and they got embarrassed by Penn State. Embarrassed. And I said they're gonna quit, they're gonna quit on him. And you know what mm-hmm. they did? The exact opposite. They came now, they've lost three of the four games since then, but they've battled every game. Even the game they got blown out by Georgia, they didn't quit. Like they played hard, they still have talent. And I don't think he's a fit there. Jimbo's team has just flat out like quit multiple times this year. I mean, just got embarrassed multiple times this year, and with significantly better players significantly better players. So, and then they got Ole Miss coming up this weekend, then they're home against Florida, then they're at Auburn. What's going to be interesting is to see if both of those coaches are still there when they go put when 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 it, well, it's more is Harson going to be there. Is Harson going to be there when they play Texas A&M. Now they have a home game against Arkansas this week, then they're at Mississippi State before they play Texas A&M. They've got to beat Arkansas at home this week to have a chip. if they lose to Arkansas this week at home, it, it could, it could be it. It could be it for him. And then right. they go Mississippi state and Mississippi state is the most bipolar team in college football, depending on if they're yep. home or away. I mean, yep. they are such a different team at home than they are. Like, here's what they've done. Here's what they've done at home. They blew up Memphis, blew up Bowling Green, blew out Texas AM, blew out Arkansas. Here's what they've done on the road. Good one over Arizona lost to LSU by 15, lost to Kentucky by 10 got blown out by Alabama they are the, the weirdest team when it comes to how the extremes from one to another. Right. And so uh, Jonathan Gabbrook says Ole Miss is so overrated. Now here's the funny thing is I caught a lot of flack last week on the board. I forgot to put my top 25 up. I got to do it this week, but I put my top 25 up last week and I had sit Ole Miss like 12th or 13th behind multiple one loss teams. And I'm like, who have they beat that really impressed you? Right. Like, they made AJ Swan look like a star. Then the next week they made Auburn's run game look like a vintage like 2013 r- Auburn run game. You know, so like the SEC to me this year is is kind of overrated again, right? I think it is. But um it still though, AM's reeling. Like they're reeling big time right now. And you know, I don't I don't know if they're gonna be able to beat Ole Miss at home. I, I really don't. I and mean, they couldn't beat they got they got I mean they, they had to score a couple times against AM to even or against South Carolina even make it respectable looking, Ryan. Like it was like 10 point lead and then they'd score and make it a three point game and then South Carolina go down and score again. Like they're bad. Well, they're well, bad.
2: Bri- Brian, I mean they're they're playing with their backup quarterback, so.
1: Yeah. It's very yeah. sarcastic, right. by the way. Yeah. Very, very, no, I very get sarcastic. It. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Trust me, I get it. Their backup quarterback they, they, who was their starter at the beginning of the year. Who won the offseason battle. Dead. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's not like he started the year because the other guy was hurt. No. Nope. Right? Like it wasn't that. He started the year because he beat the other guy out. Now I don't think he should have, but you know, whatever. We we shall see. We shall we shall see. Uh somebody said Notre Dame better get Anthony Lucas on speed dial if he enters <laughs> the portal. Uh if if he's one of the guys that got suspended for what we're hearing got suspended for, there's no way in heck he's gonna be able to come to Notre Dame. Nor nor would you No, so I won't say it publicly, but Ryan, you've heard why those freshman studs, I mean, it was was Denver Harris and it was, was, I mean, it was three highly ranked guys. And then there's a fourth one that hasn't been confirmed yet, but rumors are that it's Anthony Lucas. If, If what they're accused of getting in trouble for, and again, I don't, it's just rumors right now, so I don't want to say it publicly. That is one of the dumbest, like you're an idiot. Like you're an idiot if that's what you're doing. An idiot. And I don't want an idiot on this football team, no matter how talented he may be, because a kid like that can bring you down. So uh, and you know how much I love Anthony Lucas as a player, but hopefully he wasn't because he seems like a nice kid comes from a good family. I, I hope that he's not one of the kids that got got involved in that. That's just all that's all that's all I'll say. Let's see here. Let's um get to these next one. Sean Green is there gonna be an IB sighting in, in New York this Saturday? So Ryan and I are both planning on driving up Friday. Uh, we'll be grabbing mm-hmm. dinner somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. We'll have to figure all that out. Um, but uh, I don't know if we're going to have time to kind of do a gathering because we're leaving after the show, and it's it's going to be tough. And then he's leaving right after the game. But we we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. If maybe we might do something. But if you guys, if you all get together to tailgate and you're all hanging out, let us know, and we'll we'll swing by if we can. As long as especially if it's like near the Carrier Dome, we'll definitely come by and say hi for sure. So yes, let sir. me let me know. Sean Green also said this is my third time seeing name play Syracuse, first time in the dome. I'm pretty excited to see it there. That's the thing I'm excited about, Ryan, is I am very excited to watch a game of the carrier dome. I've never just been thinking there. Of before, all the, so. Yeah, me neither. just thinking of yeah. and it's funny, is there's been some history football-wise. I mean, I, I grew up watching Marvin Graves and then Don McNabb playing there and and then uh you know, just watching Rocket Ismail's younger brother, the the missile. You know, play there. Oh, quadri? Quadri? Yeah, 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 man. And then, you know, but the more so for me is as a kid, I loved college basketball. I actually Mm -hmm. loved college basketball before I fell in love with college football. I mean, I loved college basketball for a long time. And Syracuse is one of those teams I rooted – they weren't my favorite team, but they were one of the teams I really liked and rooted for. I mean, going back to, like, Sherman Douglas – when they mm-hmm. played Indiana for the championship. But then Adrian Autry and Billy Owens and Derek Coleman and just some of the, some of those great teams that they had. I, I always liked Syracuse. I liked the cursive. Right? I wish they would go back to that. Sometimes they'll do it like yeah. a throwback, but I loved the, the, the cursive Syracuse on their jerseys. Love Syracuse. I mean, I really liked watching Syracuse play a ton growing up. So, I mean, it's just thinking of all the huge basketball games that have been played there, more than even some of the football games. You know, so I'm excited to, I don't know how, what, I mean, we're probably gonna be like in a corner with a terrible angle. That's how a lot of those stadiums are, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing a game there. Yeah. I just want to walk around in there, you know, just to walk and just do that stuff. So, and I'm trying to think this is, this will be my third time seeing Notre Dame and Syracuse play. I was not at the, no, uh, fourth time. So I'm trying to think, hold on. I don't think I was at the 14. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if I was at that game or not. I don't think I was at the 2014 Syracuse game. I can't remember if I was or wasn't to be completely honest with you. But I was at the I was at the the 16 game in Jersey. Was there for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I was at the mm-hmm. 18 game in Yankee Stadium. My wife actually took uh, shot that game too, so we were actually both there. And then of course I was at um the No, that I think that's it. That's the only two I believe I've been at. So let me I'm at the cuz I They've played, what, four times under Kelly? I, for the life of me, cannot remember. Oh, I was at the 2014 game. I remember now because I had a huge fiasco getting there, Ryan. So I drove to Chicago, and they canceled my flight because somebody, some guy had committed suicide by lighting himself on fire in one of the towers. So they canceled the the flights. Yeah. So I got a flight out of St. Louis. So I had to get a rental car. I'm not going to lie. I was driving really fast from Chicago to St. Louis, got there with less than an hour before my flight took off, jumped on my flight from St. Louis and then got there for the, got flew in that night for the game. So I I was at that game. So I blocked it out of my head because it was such a crazy weekend, but yes, I was at that game because I'm remembering who I worked for at the time. And it would have had to have been that game because I wasn't working for that person. The next time the two teams played. So I, this will be my fourth time watching them play. So, 14, 16, 18, and then this year. So, um, yeah. So, I didn't go to the 20 game because you can only have – it was the COVID year. You can only have one person in the box at a time. So, I let Vince mm-hmm. go to that game. So, I watched that one from home. So, um, yeah, because, yeah, it was – I not get started on that. But, anyway, <laughs> it's been my, fourth, my fourth time watching them play and my first time at the Carrier Dome. So, I'm very excited about that yeah all right Chris Davison says, uh well Brian, if you're wondering what it's like to have kids covering Notre name is very similar. you repeat yourself over and over and pray they're listening that's a really really well put Chris <laughs> really really well put um Michael Johnson said sounds like the Marshall defense you know Ryan that's not that's not a bad example right I mean better but like we good secondary right very good underrated corners. secondary yeah all right you know. undersized but penetrating defensive line you know active yeah. linebackers good. michael they're yeah. diff- a little different structurally and schematically but that's a good comparison you know on bad. their talent level you know uh because marshall's got a very good defense this year like they rank, I think they're, I believe they're still a top 20 defense and scoring defense. I believe they are still there. I, go ahead I still really like them. their
2: linebackers, man. Eli Neal and Abraham Beauplan. Yeah. I thought they were really well, good. You, pair of linebackers. you were talking
1: about them. You were talking about them in the corners all week going into that yeah. game. We try. you yeah. know, now there's still no excuse for them to lose. But no. yeah, Marshall, <laughs> Marshall ranks 11th in scoring defense and 8th in total defense. So yeah, I think it's a very good comparison like very good comparison, Interesting. like strengths and, you know, undersize. how they, how they, again, schematically different, but very similar. I, I like that one. I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a good one, Michael. Milton fan with a mailbag question, Brian, I'm not a fan of firings, but I'm not saying how time Reese comes back for two reasons. One quarterback development, recruiting Two, culture, player management philosophy thoughts. I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want to say this and I'm going to say it uh, again. And I, I don't want to have to keep repeating myself, but, you, if you know I'm not a fan of firings, then don't ask me to speak on firings during the season. There's nothing productive for me, or for what we do, or for Notre Dame, for us to talk about firing a coach right now. There's nothing good that can come out of it. What we're going to talk about now till the end of the season is what Tommy Reese needs to do to get this offense rolling. And Milton fan, I you can talk about it all you want. I just but just we're not going to talk about that. Like We're, we're not. I'm They're not going to fire him. I, I'm not calling for them to fire him. I don't think they should fire him. I think what Marcus Freeman needs to do is sit down and have a conversation with Tom Reese and they need to figure out how they can structurally put this thing together to be successful on offense. Right. And I just, I, I you know, that's just not something I care to talk about, nor will it be a topic of conversation on any of the Irish breakdown channels. So I mean, no disrespect by that. It's just, I want us to move on to more productive conversations than firing. I don't necessarily disagree with those things being issues at all. Milton told me I'm not really disagreeing with you per se. It's just firing is not something I'm thinking about. But has development and recruiting a quarterback been an issue, Ryan? Yeah. Is For there sure. a culture player management philosophy problem with Tom Reese? Yeah. But my For issue sure. right now is fixing it. Because you're not firing yeah. anybody right now, fix it. That's what I care well, it's like- about. It's like
2: yesterday on the show, Brian, people wanted to start, um, you know, talking about some guys that might be like portal options for Notre Dame and stuff. And I'm just like, guys, like when a guy enters a portal, I'll talk about him. You know, right. I'll break them down and like how what the fit could be, all that type of stuff. But I just don't want to speculate, you know, like speculate. Like, I think like you get in a really gray area with that type of stuff. And right. you've been a coach. You know it, man. Like people lose their jobs and it's deeper than just like a fan right. getting what they want. You know what I mean? Like, a, right. so, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now in, in Tommy's case, he's not a married guy and doesn't have kids, but it doesn't mean sure. it stings any less, you know. And so, you know, his dad works there and he's been in Notre Dame a long time. It's just look, we'll address that when the time comes. But there's just nothing good that's going to come out of that conversation right now, in my in my opinion. Just fix the problem, right? Yes. And if you were going to do that, that window has passed, and mm-hmm. so you're you're definitely not going to do it now. Next question is from Michael Morris. Brian and Ryan, do you think Tommy Reese plays the best player at certain positions? And if you don't think he does, why? Ryan, I'm going to let you answer this one first because I have a very strong opinion on this one, and I want to see what your thoughts are first.
2: I don't don't think that Notre Dame plays – let me phrase this the best way possible. I do think that there's some allegiance, not even just from Tommy Reese, but I think that there is an allegiance in certain cases on the coaching staff to playing players that they – that they kind of gravitate towards for whatever reason. So, I mean, to answer the question blankly, Michael, I don't think that the, that Notre Dame has done a great job of playing the best player all the time. Right. It's the one that they're comfortable with. And we've talked a lot about like, you know, what comfort means for a player. Right. And why, you know, what players on the offense right now for Notre Dame should you be totally comfortable with? I mean, like the offensive line, you should be feel feeling pretty comfortable with Michael Mayer, but I mean, I mean this conversation always comes back to like wide receivers right it always does mm-hmm. cuz it's like a why are you not playing tobias and and it's it's fair it's a fair conversation to have and so i i mean to answer the question michael no i don't think that he always plays the best player why that happens i think that there is a comfort and allegiance to the players that you know a little deeper a deeper like a deeper level and the guys that you trust to do what is going to be asked of them, like no wild cards. So it's, it's not, it's just a muddled, muddled conversation, man. Like it is, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it, cause Brian, it, it's, it, there's fault in just the mindset, right? I mean, you're not playing your right. best players because you want comfort in, you know, just the, this, like the, you want a higher floor, right? But like that floor doesn't get you over the top. So it's just such a flawed conversation and mindset because I think that it really does limit you. So that's just kind of how I feel about it. I do think that there is a lot of mismanagement of talents at certain
1: positions. There's no doubt about it. I do think he plays favorites. I don't Mm -hmm. think he always plays the best guy. I think he plays favorites and I think a lot of times favorites are either guys he's recruited or guys that maybe he gets along with better. I think this is one of the things that can be part of an immaturity as a coach when you're young and you kind of have the ego that he has. I think sometimes, you know, maybe a kid, you just don't click with personally and then that impacts your decision making. Uh, You know, I think that's part of it, but I think, I think another part of it is he's going to play guys that fit his system more so than maybe guys who would be the best player because he wants to be able to do what he does. I think that's part of it as well, Ryan. And so I think a lot of it's just immaturity to be completely honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it, Ryan. It's just, it's just immaturity. A lot of immaturity
2: in the chat right now, you know, call me a DJU lover or something like that in the chat. Yeah, that's right now, that's
1: so. that's not even an immature, that's just that's just pure insanity right there. But I do think Jonathan yes. was joking on that one. Uh, yeah, I know. Look, here's the thing about like here's the thing about the portal thing that you brought up, Ryan, that I think is important to mm-hmm. discuss is what people have to understand too is sometimes we may hear certain names,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but if we start broadcasting it then that may make it harder for Notre Dame to be able to actually land that kid. Uh, I look at the Jackson-Arnold situation. It was very, very unlikely Notre Dame was going to have any chance with Jackson-Arnold. Very unlikely. But The little glimmer of hope you had was that it was kept private and you could maybe get him on a campus before anything was said, right? And then once it got out there, it's it's gone. So, like, let's say Notre Dame is eyeing a certain kid. Right now, let's say we, let's say we, people know that I have sources at Notre Dame. Let's say I threw out the name of a quarterback right now, kid that's not in the portal. And then that kid jumps in a portal and goes to Notre Dame. What do you think people are going to say? Notre Dame tampered. How else did Driscoll know? When in fact, I didn't know, right? I right. just threw a name out. Or if I did know someone that they may have their eye on, then it comes out and say, like, well, yeah, Notre Dame tampered. How does that help anyone? It doesn't. So it's just not something that we're going to do. Sometimes you all have to understand timing is important. Timing matters. There's a time and a place to talk about things. And there's a time and a place when things are inappropriate to talk about, or just not necessarily inappropriate, but just not the right time. And that's, that's what we're, that's, that's our thoughts on that. Christopher Galloway. Hello, Brian. Glad to see you are better. I'm not really better, but uh, I'm just powering through. Uh, The reason I didn't do it yesterday is because you know, I had Vince and Ryan could cover for me. There's just nobody else to cover for the 1 p.m. show, so I got to suck it up and, and deal with it. But uh, um, but I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Milton Fan, 15. Brian, you say they run the scan to get the perfect play, but they just keep throwing it to double, triple covered Michael Mayer. This is one of those ones, Milton Fan, where there are sometimes I think fans think that where the ball goes is where it was designed to go, and that's not always the case. They're not calling us, hey, we're going to run this play. And now, look, Mayer's going to be triple covered, but that's part of our plan, right? And here's the thing, is if Michael Mayer is double and triple covered, guess what else that means, Ryan? Somebody else is open. And that's been the thing. So, now, my thing is, is there have been a lot of plays this year where receivers are coming open, and the ball's not getting Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And so, people say, well, doesn't that mean Tom Reese is calling good plays? Yeah, in the past game, I think Tom Reese has done called a lot of good plays this year. The past game, I think his run game design stinks. I think, I think that, I think that there are times where he, there are things he should be doing to make his offense even easier that he's not doing. But when he's designed, I mean, there's been several games this year where he's designed some really good stuff in the past game. But the, the problem is number one, when that stuff's happening, you know, four or five times a game and you're throwing the ball 25, 30 times there's a lot of times where you're not getting guys open because of a lot of the routes we don't like. And that right. kind of goes into the looking for the perfect play type of thing. But number that's number one. Number two, the problem is is when you coach like that, Ryan, and you have a younger or an inexperienced group of players, you know, it's like last year we pushed back on this notion of inexperience because you had mayor who played a lot. You had a lot of offensive linemen who played a lot. You know, you had a quarterback who was a fifth year senior who had, who'd been a, you know, multi-year starter at that point in time, you know, led a team to a Rose Bowl. The, the the whole lack of experience thing didn't fly last year. This team actually is inexperienced. experienced. You know, your your mm-hmm. best receiver is a guy who only played half of his freshman year, really. You know, your, your running backs are all kind of new, not really inexperienced, but I don't really look at experience there. Offensive line-wise, your two tackles are relatively inexperienced. Blake Fisher played two college football games before this year. You know, Zeke Carell's only started what, like four or five games in his career, you know, or about about eight, nine games in his career. You know, so in spots you were inexperienced in certain some spots, you know, but it is especially quarterback, which is even more reason to not do the scan. This is the thing that kills me is if you truly believe that your team lacks talent, the things you're doing are the exact opposite of what you should be doing with a team that you think lacks talent. The stuff you're asking them to do is stuff you should be asking veteran, talented players to do. If you think your team is inexperienced, not talented, the stuff you're doing is the last thing you should do. Because all these exactly. great play calls are things that require receivers to win, right? You have to run this route well and win and get to this spot. Your quarterback has to make the perfect read and get the ball out where it needs to go. That's There's always a time and a place for that. But a, a, a good coach is going to limit those number of plays and then use a lot of the other times to create more. Uh, plays where you are scheming people open, using RPOs, moving the pocket, doing things like that, mixing up your run game that doesn't doesn't require you to actually just have to out talent people, and that's the problem. So, you know, I think the, the and that's where talk about the inexperienced thing, Ryan, is when you are making a quick check, and then mm-hmm. your quarterback's got to come back, and he's now got to make a completely different read because you just ch- changed the play call, and there's six seconds on the clock, the play clock. He doesn't have a lot of time. To process where I'm going with the ball. And Marcus Freeman made a good point yesterday. He goes, he was he was exaggerating because I don't think he believes this. He goes, you know, Drew doesn't often like I think I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but something about how he doesn't just lock in on one guy. The problem is he goes through his progressions too quickly or too slowly. And the too quickly thing has been a big issue. If Mayor's mm. not his number one read, he will quickly work through his progressions to get back to Mayor. Because that's what you True. do when you're an inexperienced guy, you know, like hey, stick with that read for one more second and you're going to see Brayden Lindsey coming open late. That's an inexperienced thing. And when you do what you're doing with him, you're, create, you're making it harder for him to process because you're speeding up his read process. You know, And yep. when you are giving him full field reads to a younger player and then now you've had him check at the last second, you're putting him in a position to be, to be unsuccessful. What you can do to be successful, more screen game, more RPOs, more limiting his reads, where it's one, two, check down, stuff like that, one, two, backside cross, one, two, backside post, things where you're limiting his reads, you're not doing enough of that stuff
3: mm-hmm. to where
1: now when you when you do call the the perfect play, you've put him in such a funky spot that it's a lot, there's a lot more, the margin for error is way smaller. And so when you miss one of those reads, it has a greater impact. So I think those are the issues for me. And yes, it is a Drew Pine problem, but it goes back to what I believe Coach Freeman has said multiple times: Are we putting our players in the best position to be successful? And you're not calling plays to throw into triple coverage. And when there is triple coverage, it means somebody else is open, and you're just not you're not doing a good enough job teaching your quarterback to get to that point. And yeah. that's the issue. His play calling in the run game stinks. His lack of use of RPOs stinks. But Tommy Reese can design some really good pass plays. And Mm -hmm. and with a more experienced quarterback, this stuff would be working a lot more. But that's the problem. You don't have that. And you're not fixing it. You're not changing it to fit your kid. You're asking Drew Pine to run what you did with Jack Cohn last year, and he's not Jack Cohn. All right, now. And that's the problem. That's Drew's fault. No, it's your fault. You're not putting him in a position to be successful. Simple as that. Trucker Joe, great name, by the way. I don't think Reese realizes that when you have more talent than the opposition, most every play is the perfect play. Hashtag ban the scan. That's a great point, Joe. There is not, there's nobody in the country that shows less confidence in his players, in my opinion, than Tommy Reese. And I don't, I just, yeah, it, I, I agree. Sometimes, hey, I, I don't care what, they don't need to have the perfect coverage. We taught it correctly. Get the ball out, run the play. Mm-hmm. Get the ball out. And there's a time and a place for the perfect play stuff, Ryan. There is. It, it's. It's also, Brian. I mean, defensively,
2: the team that you're going against, right? They're not in the perfect defense every play either, right? <laughs> like they're not. Like there's going to be players that are unsure of their assignment. There's going to be guys that blow their assignment. There's going to be a guy that slants the wrong way. Like all those things happen, man. And we know. I mean, we just talked about Syracuse, right? Syracuse has a p- bunch of post-snap movements, right? Like, they're not a team that's just, like, sitting in too high. You know it's going to be cover two or cover four. Not necessarily, right? So it's just – it is a lack of confidence. It is. It is. Like, at the at the core, it's a lack of confidence in yourself to a degree, right? Because you didn't call the, the right play to begin with. But it's even more of a lack of confidence of sometimes players and these athletes, these All these four-star kids that you're recruiting, right, all these top 200-ranked recruits nationally, they'll surprise you, man, because they're talented, talented football players. Take the leash off. Let's see what they can work with, man. I mean, just let it fly a little bit. Like, there's just – he plays – he plays. Coach Reese coaches like – and I know you've talked about this before, Brian, that he's talked about that they have a lower margin for error, right? Well, you make it that way. You make it that way, and you right. coach that way. That's the right.
1: uh, yeah, yeah. You coach it them into up? that. That's the exactly. You coach them into that. Mark small yes. marks for error. If you truly exactly. have a smaller smaller marks for error, then you should be doing the exact opposite of what you're doing from a game plan play calling standpoint. Exact 100%. opposite. Yep. Yeah. and that's the you should wa- you,
2: you shouldn't want a defense to get adjusted to what you're doing. Like that's yes, a hundred
1: percent, hundred percent, right. We are not Marshall. Why do I get the feeling that Driscoll has pulled his hair out 50 times this year already? He has used the word if four times today. I got all my hair, same amount of hair as I always do. A little bit more. I need a haircut soon. But, no, I don't pull my hair out. I'm not going to punish myself because somebody else is an idiot. So, uh, yeah. But uh, it's frustrating. But to your point, it it is frustrating to see so much of this stuff where you're just like, it's unnecessary. It just doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Sean Lucero with a super chat. Thank you, Sean. How do you attack a stack box with press coverage? Are they be- are there better ways than receivers having a low percentage deep shots to get them to back off the run? Well, First of all, you do need to hit some of those shots, right? And mm-hmm. that requires mm-hmm. better releases off the line, requires three things, better releases off the line, better throws, and a little bit more creativity to try to get them free off the line. That, that, that's clear. Uh, you do need to hit some of the shots outside. You do need to hit the shot to Tobias Merriweather. Those things are needed, in my opinion, to beat teams that are playing press coverage. But then also, the other way to, to, to attack stack coverage, Ryan, is to use your secondary receivers. And I don't mean secondary receivers in like your secondary talents, but doing things where you're running people off and then getting free in space. That's one of the best ways to attack a loaded box is against man coverage is, you know, I'm going to go with a, a, a three-by-one alignment, and I'm going to run, you know, if I'm facing a stack box, I'm going to have my tight end in a wing and I'm going to probably have him kind of chip and do something off to the edge or like maybe just run a wheel route. I'm going to run some kind of like double verts or a deep end and a post or some kind of deep high low to the field. And then I'm running something where I'm just bringing my receiver across because they are one of two things is happening. If they're in a tight box they're gonna to overreact to that cross and run with him, which opens up my stuff over the middle, either the seam over the top or the end breaking route to the top. You can also do like a vertical from your from your seam and then bring a deep end from the outside. Things like that can work. Purdue hit some of that stuff against against Syracuse, but if they if they are king the run and if you run it off play action, all of a sudden you get that guy out. Once he clears linebacker level, you've got room to get that ball out there. And you can get in some catch and runs. Now, Notre Dame has done that a couple times this year, and Lorenzo Styles has dropped the ball. So they've, they've done it a couple times, but there's a lot of things like that that you can also do when you're playing a stacked box. I think vertical levels is a really effective scheme against a loaded box because either they're going to stay up and you get behind it, or what they'll do too, Ryan, defensively is when they are up, then they, they are extra aggressive getting depth. Which then can open up some of the under stuff. So uh, other things that you and you and I have talked about, Ryan talked about earlier. You know, do some post snap switch stuff. You know, run some trail stuff. You know, a concept that I see a lot of teams use that Notre Dame rarely uses is you know run some vertical stuff off to get guys going, and then just bring like I just said, like the crossing route underneath it to the boundary as well. You can do that as well. Uh, you know, run clear routes and run like a, a a delay wheel. There's things like that they they can do. That are effective against teams loaded the box, and then you know the best way, one of the best ways to do that is run, attack the screen or attack the perimeter screens. I mean that that's a great way to do it as well. Ryan is, you know, use the bubble screens because if those corners are playing up, you can block them off. You'll know, put Michael Mayer out there, block them off, run some bubbles, run some screens, and then if they want to get too aggressive, that's where you have some double moves. I have never seen a team that gets defended so aggressively as Notre Dame and refuses to use double moves. No option middles. I mean. As 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 aggressively as teams play Michael Mayer on out, option outs, a, a, an option out back to the middle is going to kill people. Mm-hmm. You know? You only got to hit it once or twice. The fact that they don't use any of that stuff is also very confusing because it's perfect stuff to use against teams that are as aggressive as they are against their name. I, I, I don't understand it. Like, you're playing so much single high coverage. How are you not using double moves and – wide fades and post switches and things like that. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Especially with how your offensive
2: line's blocking too. I mean, pass blocking wise, right? Like you're not plenty of time off of some of those double moves too. It just, yeah, it's frustrating.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.
1: Jonathan Gabrick says, How much does the super chat need to be to grow a mullet? I will pay if it, I swear. There's no way I'm ever growing a mullet. There's no there's, there's er, no ev- amount of money ev-
2: Everyone has their price, Brian. Everyone no. has their price. No, nope. you don't have a price. No, nope.
1: not for a mullet. if, so, if
2: someone if someone nope. sent you a ten million dollar super chat, you would you wouldn't get
1: a mullet. Man, money's <laughs> not everything, buddy. Money's not everything. Okay. If somebody wants to test that theory, we can. You know, we can try to test that theory, you know, but uh, no, that's not happening. That's not happening. All right, next next one. That was a good one from Sean Lacerro. Uh, ben Tarnowski says, bring in Josh Gaddis or Garrett Riley next year, and it will be all good. Okay, uh, Josh Gaddis, heck to the no. Uh, that is a <laughs> hard pass for me. Uh, I'm not a big Josh Gaddis fan. I wasn't a, a fan of Josh Gaddis last year uh, at Michigan. I'm not a fan of Josh Gattis this year at Miami. Uh, I'm just no. I'm a I'm a hard well, pass. What's, for me. what's the what's the fascination with Josh Gattis? Is the recruiting? I, I guess is that is that like I the
2: fascination? No it's weird. I don't know. I don't. Care. Garrett I'm Riley's at TCU, right?
1: He's a yes. TCU now, guy. Yeah. he here's my concern with Garrett Riley. Uh-huh. Now, the job they're doing this year is tremendous. I mean, I, I, yep. Brian, I've watched Ryan, I've watched about about four or five TCU games this year. They're really mm-hmm. creative on offense, really creative. Sure. However, I would I would get a little nervous about bringing in a very young, because Garrett Riley is very young. He's 33. Mm-hmm. He's a very young guy. He's been around for a while, right? Coached with his brother at East Carolina. He was at Kansas for several years. He was at App State 19. He was at SMU as the OC for two years under Sonny Dykes at SMU. My mm-hmm. concern, however, is this. I love what he's they're doing but it's kind of like Jeff Levy at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I liked what they did at Ole Miss, but the question was, okay, is that more Lincoln Riley or Jeff Levy? Right, right. And where with Lincoln Riley, when he was at East Carolina, his head coach was a defensive guy. So you kind of knew that was Lincoln's offense. My fear of someone who is an outsider looking in, and I would want to do research on Garrett Riley to learn more about him just in general. And this is for any Mm -hmm. coach. But if you have a defensive head coach, you're bringing in a 33-year-old guy and handing him the keys to the offense, and it's something he's never done. He is running – he has Sonny Dykes right there. Sonny Dykes is a really good offensive mind. That's where Sonny Dykes has made his living, right? Wasn't he the coach for Jared Goff? He's developed Mm -hmm. the number one overall draft pick, right? They did some really good things at SMU, and now you see SMU's taking a big step back offensively this year with him not there. That would be my concern. That would be my concern. Now, this mean it's an end-all, be-all, because I don't know him. For all I know, Sonny Dykes trusts him implicitly to run the offense. I don't know. I'm just saying, just looking at the resume, guys like that concern me if you're going to bring him in to coach for a defensive coach. That's my mm-hmm. elite. That's my elite. That's my two cents there. That's my two cents that's there. Fair. And that's, that's a fair. pretty big philosophical shift. And that's yes, like pure air raid. You know what I mean? But it's pure air raid. <laughs> so um, I'm just not sure I'm comfortable with that either. I'm not a big air raid guy. But the thing I do like about that version of it, as I've said, Ryan, and I've said this before, is I like air raids that run the ball. That's why I like. That's why I mm-hmm. like Phil Longo. I don't always necessarily like the way they run the ball. I think Phil Longo's teams are a little bit too passive with their run schemes. But TCU is averaging 227 yards a game rushing the football. So I mean, they run the ball, after, and that's after losing uh, Zach Evans this offseason yeah, too, which is pretty right. wild. So. That's right. Yep. Who averaged seven yards of carry for them last year? They were at one hundred ninety-six point mm-hmm. three last year, five, five yards of carry. This year, uh, they're at two hundred and twenty-seven point one and five point eight yards of carry. So yeah, they've and they've already rushed for more touchdowns this year than they did last year, and that's their quarterbacks wild, only man. run for two only run for two hundred seventy-four. <laughs> So, it's not like, you know, you've got, he's not putting up like Garrett Schrader numbers from last year, is my point. You know, 274 is pretty good through seven games, but it's like, it puts you on pace for what's he, what's he at a game? Let me look that up real quick. He's at 39 a game. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, so that's, that's a, that's a decent number. I mean, you, you put that out towards 12 games, you know, regular season, that's 468 yards. It's pretty good. That's that's the book numbers. Yes. That is the book numbers.
3: It's, it's good.
1: Right. But you're sure. not building yeah. your offense around the quarterback having to run all the time, which I don't necessarily right. love. Unless a guy's like dynamic, like Lamar Jackson, I'm just not a fan of that in any kind of non optional offense where he's got to run all the time. Archer says if Jackson Smith and Jigba is unable to get back to full health this year, does he come back next year? N- come back for next year. A recent draft projection did not have him in the first round. I would be very curious who did that draft projection. It, it, See, let me I, say this to you, Ryan, especially yeah. in a year that is very down at wide receiver, I'd be shocked mm-hmm. if Jackson Smith and Jigba came out this year and wasn't a first round draft pick. As long as he tests yeah. well, I'd be shocked. Well, agree I mean, that's the, no, I, I agree with that part of the
2: conversation. Like that's a big layer to it, right? Like he, Quentin Johnson's had a couple nice games in a row, but I mean, Keyshawn Bute has been kind of hamstrung by an, a struggling LSU passing offense. And Josh Downs has missed a couple football games and, there's just been it's not it's not a great 2023 wide receiver class just in general right now as it appears and I would say the other big thing too Brian is I and I don't I don't know if you agree with this we would love to hear if you do or not Jack Smith and Jig was not a guy that I think is going to like I think regardless he's like Chris Alave to me as far as what his draft projection is going to be right like he's always just going to be that like in that bracket of you know he's going to be a 10 to 32 pick, like somewhere in that bracket, right? I don't think if Jackson Smith and Jigba goes back next year, he's all of a sudden this top five pick, top 10 pick guy. Like, I don't think that he's a dynamic player, as in he's going to test off the charts. He's going to run a 4 3 in the 40. He's just a really good football player. So I don't think that he's necessarily going to hurt, help his stock a ton. I don't think he's really hurt his stock a ton either. You had a full season last year of seeing exactly what Jackson Smith and Jigba is. And in the glimpses that he's had very limited this year, you've still seen that same player, right? So to Brian's point, down wide receiver class, adding on to it, I also think that it's something where I don't know if he necessarily helps himself that much. Like I think the NFL likes Jackson's a bit Jigba. He's a really good football player. Consistent is kind of the thing that comes to mind. So I don't think he really helps or hurts himself a ton in that regard for me.
1: And I, and I think we've seen that the NFL, as long as it's not a, like, a devastating like structural injury, which I don't believe his injuries are. I mean, Jamison Williams tore his ACL late in the year yes. and still. So won top 15. top
2: fifteen. Yeah, exactly. And that's
1: not the first time that's happened either.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. I don't I, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd be shocked. Especially in this draft class. I mean, that's the one thing I that I've seen all almost all draft analysts agree on. And he said CBS Sports is the one that did it. So I don't know who they're drafting. Oh, yeah, are. don't so listen, don't, don't, like don't listen to CBS album. Sports. Yeah, yeah, I believe they have a bunch yeah. of them. So yeah, and,
2: and, none, um, and none of them are very good, in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah, humble opinion, good one. Uh, we have a super chat. I'm kidding. I have a super chat here from Rick Lane. What's going on with Peyton Bowen? Um, Ryan, I must go quickly answer this one. Same thing's been going yep. on all along. He's committed to Notre Dame. He tells Notre Dame he's coming. He tells everybody that I know that he that he trusts that he's coming. But he also goes on every visit with his brother, as is always the case and we see people from on three use all of his visits to generate clicks. That's as far as I know, that's all that I know. I have not heard anything change from talking to Notre Dame commits, from talking to Notre Dame's folks around the Notre Dame program. I've heard no one that actually knows Peyton like that, that thinks that he's going to flip. We don't even hear Jackson Arnold talk about that much anymore, and he used to talk about that all the time. So until we have reason or intel to say otherwise – we believe he's going to stick with Notre Dame, Ryan. Did I say anything out of bounds with that comment? Because my now question we, is, right? If he didn't want to be at Notre Dame, why would he stay? But still be in the class.
2: Yeah, and Brian, we we had this similar question asked yesterday, and Nick, I completely understand why you're asking it. Because again, I mean, he's still taking sure. visits, right? So it's it's troubling. Yeah. Like it is. I mean, I'd be lying if it, if I said it wasn't. But people have all freaked out about this Oregon trip, Ryan. And I, I I said this point blank like yesterday. I was like, hey. There's been legitimate, you know, smoke to Oklahoma, right? Like, that's one that you could yeah. be like, okay. Like, that one makes a little bit of sense, right? His One of his very good friends is going there. They're relatively close to his proximity at home, all that type of stuff, right? Like, okay. Oregon? What is – have you ever heard Pete Bowen say a word about Oregon before, Brian? Have you heard it? Like, I've never heard – that's a team that I've never heard him say anything about. I just haven't heard it. So, we're just – Again, we're just catching clicks in certain spots, and it's it's just that that's what we're doing right now. So Will Painbow end up in the class? We'll see. Regardless, though, of this past weekend's visit, if he does end up with a different program, I don't think it's going to be Oregon. So let's not be super hyperbolic right. with it.
1: Right. I just look. We'll see. We'll see. In this day and age, who knows? Uh, but uh, it's just nothing that we've we've heard what makes let's, me what, think
2: that. See, I, I can't say in comments like this, it just came out. This is the same thing we said about Dante. What was the same that we just no, said? No, it's not. The same with Dante. It, I, that's
1: ridiculous. We, first of all, Dante was not a public commitment. At no point in time was Dante more a public commitment, number one. Number two, if you're on the message board, you knew we started giving you heads ups on certain things when it was not going in that direction. So if you're going to say that, that's fine, but at least be accurate. At least be it. Same thing with Keon. We said, look, until we have reason to to believe that Keon's a, a concern, we're, we're not going to worry about it. But then when we got reason, we told people, right? And if we get reason, but see with Keon, here's the difference. Keon backed off from his relationships with Notre Dame coaches and players. Peyton hasn't. And that's a difference. Dante's situation is completely different too, because until they got a commitment from CJ Carr, Dante was planning on coming to Notre Dame. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not even remotely close to being the same situation. So you got to be – you got to Pay- be – you got to be Pay- little Pay- better. Peyton
2: still plays Madden and all that stuff with the with the other all commits right. in the class. He's still in the now group chat. Changes, like, I'll be concerned. Yeah, if the changes, we'll let you know. Yeah. yeah, That's why you sign up at boards.irishankton.com.
1: We'll let you know as soon as that happens. There you go. So. Uh, we have our resident Michigan fan has spoken up about Josh Gaddis. Anthony Uh-oh. Johnson says Josh Gaddis is a fraud. He didn't even win that award. Long. That's Jim Harbaugh's offense, and he's not wrong.
3: And yeah, then Troy entire.
1: McIntosh said, your Garrett your Garrett Riley concern could be applied to, to Reese. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem, right? Like once he was given a young offensive, and he's got just as much play-calling experience as Garrett Riley does at a bigger level, but once he was then running the offense on his own without an offensive head coach over top of him, look what happened. And I don't mm-hmm. even think that much of what Brian Kelly, right? And we again, that's where I was wrong. I thought it was Kelly holding Reese back. In reality, Reese by himself isn't ready to to run an offense by himself with no guidance. That's the point, though, Troy, and and that's that's my concern. So I mean, I think I think Troy's point is spot on, Ryan. But that's my concern, right? That's my concern yeah. is is having a young guy that that has been under an offensive head coach for so long, kind of handing him the reins and say, "Go do what you need to do." That's that's where my concern. So I don't disagree with Troy at all, but that's that's my issue, right? That's mm-hmm. my issue. So um, now that doesn't mean that I if if I was an off if I was a head coach looking for an offensive coordinator, doesn't mean I wouldn't look at Garrett Riley. I flat out would look at Garrett Riley because number one, I like Sonny Dykes a lot as an offensive mind. I think he's yep. a good football coach. And you look at what they're doing this year at TCU. You you have to be impressed by that, Ryan. I mean, yep. you, you just have to be. I mean, they have made huge jump. They were look, they were averaging 28.7 points per game in 2021, 30.8 in 2020. They're at 44.7 so far this year. And here's the thing. They've already played two of the three best defenses they're going to play all year. All year. And they scored 43 and 38 points against those two teams. Now, they needed overtime to get to 43 against Oklahoma State, in my opinion. But, I mean... I like what they're doing. Now, the other thing, too, is, you know, this is seven, eight games into his tenure. Teams get film on you, and they find answers. But so far, teams haven't found answers. And I love the, the the game that really impressed me more than any was the Kansas State game. What I liked about TCU, really, the actually the last two games, is because they have shown that they are capable of coming from behind. They were down yep. big against Oklahoma State, and they were down big against Kansas State. And they just kept at it. He didn't panic. They didn't. They didn't get off their game. They just kept. Plugging away and eventually stuff started working. They made some little adjustments and they went. That's what I like. They're not front runners. Their last two games, they've had to come from behind double digits in each of their last two games. And they needed overtime to beat Oklahoma State, but they smacked Kansas State in the second half. You know, I mean, really smacked them in the second half. So good, good. Again, Troy, I don't disagree with you. I really don't. Uh, This one's for you. Ryan. It's an NFL question from Kuba Puig. Do you think Kyle Mm -hmm. Hamilton will start sometime this season, or do you think the Ravens will continue to play Geno Stone first and have Kyle play the role he's playing?
2: I mean, honestly, I haven't watched the Ravens enough to know what the role is or what the split is, Kuba, to be honest. Uh, I mean, (laughs) I would think that if you draft the kid 14th overall, that it would be a situation where he would play a ton, you know, at some point in the season. But I'll say this the the reason that it was an interesting pick for the ravens is that safety wasn't necessarily a need for the ravens like you just mentioned Geno Stone but i mean i'll mention marcus williams and i'll mention chuck clark like they had a really good safety room even before they drafted kyle but i think what you're going to see is that kyle continues to get added reps and then at some point you know he's going to kind of take the reins as the starting safety for them whether that is the end of this season or whatever but i think that there's a way to utilize him right now But I think that the Ravens are one of those teams where the Ravens draft so well because they don't force needs on you, right? They go, I'm going to draft the best player available, and when they fit in is when they fit in type of thing, right? That's what makes them such a successful friend. That's why Ozzie Newsom was so good, and that's why they're now good under their new general manager. So I think that it's just kind of not forcing the issue. And you knew Kyle Hamilton, again, got drafted into a good safety room. So it's going to be interesting.
1: Good stuff. Uh, here's some more. Uh, Keith Wiegand, a recruiting question as well. Uh, it, the question was actually, here we go. Ryan, Robert Bishop, Ryan, since Malik Elzey has decommitted from Cincinnati, do you maybe see Notre Dame making a run for him?
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, somebody asked this on the board as well. They've asked on a couple of shows now. I mean, the answer is like they their fifth receiver that they want in the class is Tayshawn Lyons. That's their guy. Right. And before what, before Malik Elzey was committed to Cincinnati, they were recruiting him, but they weren't pushing for him,
1: right? right. Like they weren't. They could have him had him in the play. class, Ryan. If they yeah. wanted Malik exactly. Elzey, he would have been in the name's class.
2: Yeah, so I, I don't, yeah. th- I don't see that changing from what it was then, Robert, to what it is now. Malik Elzey is a good football player. I just think that there
1: are better options on the board. Well, Fitz too, also, right? I mean, yes. Malik Elzey is going to play a similar role to Jaden Greathouse, style of mm-hmm. play wise. And if if there's any k- crossover with another receiver, it'd be with Braylon James. The thing about yes. Tayshawn Lyons, Ryan, is he's a completely different player than what they have. Yeah, right? yeah, he's now, he's
2: that type of kid that can do a little bit of everything, like inside yeah. and out. Yeah, he's. I like Lyons a lot, man. He's having a dynamic yeah. season. I like
1: Malik Elzie. So. I think he could play defense as well. I just think he's not a Notre Dame guy. Like he, he's a physical. Like he's Illinois a physical kid. Him, yeah, if yeah, Illinois can flip him. That'd be a huge pickup for them. Huge pickup for them. I would I actually love to see
2: Elzy as a safety down the line, man. Like I think he could well, play a I really like good him safety. As a role for him.
1: I thought he could play yeah, That, that really works, too. Rover. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Archer, uh B. Ryan, if you had to stop covering Notre Dame and cover another school instead, which one would you want to cover? I know lots of guys change the schools. They cover over the course of their careers. Uh, for me, Ryan, it would probably be Virginia or Virginia Tech just because I could be closer to home. That would be the only reason, hmm. just to be close to my family, you know, so I can see my nieces and nephew grow up and things like that. But I, I'd have no interest in covering another college football team. I mean – yeah, that would, it would, it would it'd be something geographic like that where I'd want to move to a specific place and then I would just cover the right. team where I would be moving to that would that would be yeah. the only that'd be the only other reason I would cover anybody else. I don't
2: don't really have an answer for this one, Brian. I don't really have one, man. It's like, I'm covering the team that I've always wanted to cover, you know, like the the team. So
1: I think you're, I think for me, as far as legitimate career moves is, is if I was ever to not do this anymore, which again, I'm not going anywhere. I love what I'm doing. If anything, I'm going to build on to this empire that we're trying to create here. Right. The Driscoll media empire that Tommy, Tommy guns likes to talk about, but (laughs) I think your thing would be mine. You, if you were to not cover Notre Dame, would be because you are going to do something completely different, like cover the draft, right? Or cover, like right? If I were, exactly. I would just cover college football as a whole. I would start a website right. where I just talk about college football as a whole, right? Like mm-hmm. I would do that instead of going to cover a team. Like I said, if it was, yeah. if I was going to cover a team, it would be something related to I wanted to move closer to family, and you know, cover that team, or I want to live here, yeah. and the easiest thing to do is cover that team. But nowadays mm-hmm. it's just like, I mean, you can, you can press conferences or on zoom, you don't necessarily have to live in the town you cover anymore. It's a lot, I mean, it's a lot easier to do that now than it used to be, but true. that would it's be true. my thing is I'd probably just cover. I mean, that's something that's in my goals eventually down the road. And we've already started to do a little bit of the CFP nation podcast is eventually mm-hmm. I would like to have a site that covers college football as a whole. And, right. you know, on, you know, that that I would do some work for, but that we would we would eventually transition to because I think that'd be a lot of fun. is to I mean, not just cover their name. No name's always going to be my bread and butter, but just cover college football as a whole.
2: Oh, yeah, I could Josh cover Rutgers, someone said. Yeah,
1: there you go. Josh P. <laughs> Brian and Ryan, what do you think of Scott Frost as a potential OC? Number one, he was a he was a good OC at Oregon, did a nice job at UCF, but mm-hmm. Scott Frost fails every character exam and character background test I could ever give. I would want that guy. And, and again, I'm not talking about potential OCs right now. I'm just talking about coaches, not even about Notre Dame. But if I was any coach at any school in America, there is no way I would hire Scott Frost as my offensive coordinator. None. Just because of the type of person we've learned that he is, at least since he's been in Nebraska. Hard pass. I want no part of that. None. He is a sharp offensive guy, but yes, to your yeah. point, he is not a not a great person. So he's yes. not such a good mind that you can you accept dealing with that. Like I said, he was right. good at Oregon. He did some good things at UCF, but he's not like this wizard genius that you would sacrifice your integrity for or soul for right. to hire him. He's just yeah. He's no. not. He's he's not. Lane, he's not Lane Kiffin. To your but point. but here's the thing about Lane Kiffin. <laughs> I no, don't. Lane Kiffin. Right. I mean, to your point, Lane some of the stuff yeah. I've heard about Lane Kiffin of Tennessee is like mm-hmm. whoa. But from everything yeah. we've heard, he's changed a lot. Like he's grown up, he's not that guy anymore. From what I've heard from yeah. a lot of different I, I, sources. I, I
2: haven't heard of anything recently. I mean, the last thing I remember is something at Alabama, but I mean, to your point, he's right. been a couple stops. That's a couple stops right. ago at this point. So right. you're not wrong.
1: You're not wrong there. Right. And his family dynamics changed a little bit. So now yes. maybe he hasn't. <laughs> Maybe it hasn't, but that's just kind of the things I hear. There has to be some sort of change. Hey, man, I screwed up. I hit rock bottom. I've changed as a person. And it would take a little bit of rehabilitation for me to to be there. Scott Yerbick asked, do you think there will be any commits that would wait until February to sign instead of signing in December? It's possible, but we don't know of any Mm -hmm. right now. I think the only way that that would change is if there was a coaching change at Notre Dame at a position that might cause a kid to wait. But as of right now, I'd, I'd be a little surprised yeah. by that, to be honest with you. Same. And then Tyler Bedwell asks, and we're getting close to the end here. Tyler Bedwell asks, and I've heard this said a lot, is it me or do we mm-hmm. never run simple slant routes? I've always felt that those are easy way to build your quarterback's confidence, to deliver the football quickly. Just seems like that is not in the play. But A couple quick things on that. Number one, the, the, the tight boxes that Notre Dame runs makes it a little harder to run some of the slant routes that they could run. Number one inside slants a lot of times you're running right into the linebackers right and Mm -hmm. the other thing too is because teams play the safety so tight the slant snap stuff where you're hitting outside slants wouldn't work quite as well either because safeties are right there so I don't know if slants are necessarily something I would be totally in love with in many instances but there have been plenty of instances where I think those kind of slant Glance routes, glance is a little different than the slant. It can look like a slant a lot of times. It sometimes looks a little bit different. There are some backside stuff, Ryan, I think they can do with that off RPOs. But the other thing, too, is a slant is not a route that I'm throwing with a quarterback who's not confident. Right. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, slant routes for a quarterback who's trouble seeing things, the last thing you want to do is throw a slant because – He's gonna rush the throw, and he's not gonna see what's coming to it. So, um, doesn't see underneath
2: coverage and long day.
1: Yep, yep, Yep. absolutely. This has been asked by five times by the same person, so we'll address it. Mailbag: Why doesn't the opponent get called on targeting when it's clear as day, but the officials are so eager to call it on Notre Dame? I I, I can't possibly answer that question. I know that targeting has been called against against Notre Dame opponents. The kid from Cal was kicked out for targeting, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand. Maybe it's the helmet. Maybe the gold helmet, it's easier to see. You know, I don't know. I I have no clue. I have no clue. I mean, there's really only been one Notre Dame player called for targeting this year, right? Has anybody else been called for targeting besides J.D.? I don't think so. So, um, and this goes back in the past, too. You know, I mean, there's been blatant targeting that Notre Dame. I don't know why. I I think part of it is Notre Dame has ACC officials for their home games, and for the most part, ACC is just not – a very good comp officiating league. They don't play, pay great. There's some good officials in that league, but there's not a lot of great ACC crews to be honest with you. So,
3: mm-hmm.
1: yep. All right. So let's see if there's any other questions here. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to, I think that's going to do it for now. So that's going to, that's going to do uh, I think it's going to do it for today's show. Everybody's really good stuff. Really good conversation. Lots of great questions here in the chat today. Uh, And, of course, a lot of good intro on on Syracuse. I thought that was fun. Tonight, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern, you're going to have the IB Nation Sports Talk show with Sean Styers, and I believe it's Sean and Jesse tonight. And then tomorrow, Ryan and I'll be back, we will start kind of looking at our statistical breakdown of the actual matchup of how the Notre Dame offense matches up in different areas against the Syracuse defense, how the Notre Dame defense matches up against Syracuse offense, and then, of course, the individual matchups that will impact those different areas. Uh, sports, IBNA sports talk Wednesday night and Thursday night as well. Ryan and I'll be back on Thursday at one o'clock to talk about the keys to victory. And then our Friday show will probably still be at one. That may be a recorded show that Ryan will play live. Ryan will be there answer questions, but I've got a seven and a half hour drive. I'm actually driving to Syracuse this weekend. So it's about a seven and a half hour drive. So I may leave before the show. So it may be a recorded show on Friday uh, in regard, in regard to the art, Prediction discussion and then Ryan will just do some live stuff afterwards. Maybe Ryan and and uh, you know, maybe get a co host or something, something like that as well. So we shall see on that, or I may just record kind of a quick seven seven on the predictions to go somewhere else. So we'll, we'll figure that out on Friday. Uh, because Ryan, your trip's about what four hours, mine's about seven and a half, so we'll end up getting in town around the same time. So that's what our plan is, nice. and of course, Saturday. Uh, I'll be part of the post game show. Ryan will be on his way back home. So it'll be me, Vince and Sean and other people on the post game show. And then of course we'll be back for upon further review next week. So, uh, further review probably is going to be on Monday next week, just because of the travel. I'm going to be driving back all day, Saturday, Sunday. So just prepare yourself for that as well. But that's what we got going on everybody, which means tons of stuff. So hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the message boards, at boards on IrishBreakdown.com. I promise you lots of great conversation. And of course, when there is Intel, there is Scoop, we will put it on there as well. At least legitimate Intel and Scoop, we will definitely put it on there as well. So for Ryan, um, Brian, you all have an awesome rest of your day, and we will talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.